This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. to have Jeremy Taché, the other JT, to wrap up the 2020 World Series. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. That's a very nice introduction. I appreciate it. Not a problem, man. Thank you so much for making the time uh, to be with us today. So, uh, I mean, 2020, man, it, what, mm. what, a, what a crazy, wacky, wacky year. Uh, and it only got wackier as the year mm. ended. Um, Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, it, this was, if we look at what happened on the field, uh, this was one of the best world series I can remember in a long time. Actually, when you really look at each individual game and you think about the drama in each of them, um, starting with, you know, Kershaw in game one, getting that game one victory, then the Rays come back power performance in game two, and they're able to, t- you know, tie things up. And you're thinking, all right, these guys belong here too. Then Walker Bueller is terrific. Then it ends with the Brett Phillips play right in, in game four. Then in game five, it comes down to Kershaw again. He's terrific once again. And then obviously we know everything that happened in game six with Blake Snell being taken out. Um, and then ultimately the Dodgers celebrating a world series championship that, was very well earned. I mean, this team, and I, I tweeted it out immediately that night, this team, if it was over a 162 game sample, we'd probably be talking about them as one of the great world series champions ever, uh, with what was constructed in this roster, uh, the pitching that they had, the dominant performances out of the bullpen, the obvious, incredible solo performances by guys like Mookie Betts and, and even Justin Turner, who played pretty well and, and, and Corey Seager, who was terrific, obviously, um, you know, you have guys contributing all over the roster and, and it was an incredible world series to watch. And then for it to be overshadowed in so many ways by, uh, the positive test of Justin Turner, which as the reporting has it most recently, it was a positive test that came back from the day before, right that would have been taken on uh, I guess the day of game five 
comes back game six, or sorry, I guess the day before game six, because there was an off day. Um, but you, you have that positive test come back mid game. And rather than being pulled immediately, they wait for Justin Turner's second test to come back positive to pull him from the game. And then after the game, he violates everyone's rules uh, and goes onto the field to celebrate, at least according to Major League Baseball, they tried to stop him. Um, you know, with the way that they handled COVID all year long, you, you know, your commissioner is there. If you really wanted to stop Justin Turner from celebrating with his team, you could have. Um, to say like, oh, you know, he just individually, you know, disobeyed all our rules. Well, you know, y- you're the league uh, to, to shift the blame to the player when your protocol all year long was shaky at best. And for now, that protocol in a bubble to have been broken, someone to, to get COVID-19 after having fans for the very first time, uh, you know, during the NLCS and then the World Series, and then for Turner to so blatantly disregard wearing a mask, kissing his wife, you know, hugging teammates. It was just a shame, um, but also so fitting for this 2020 season for it to wrap up that way, right? I mean, the first memory for all of us was, at least for me, Three days into the season, it's the entire, you know, 60% of the Marlins roster getting COVID. That's how basically baseball started for all of us. And for it to end with another COVID related story like that was just fitting. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, JT, I mean, my question is sort of I would have expected be, the second he tested you know, positive, how he, how he can't be or the second at, they at made the point. decision, um, he would be and I'm going to kind of bring you from in on the this. stadium. Like, how do you let him just go hang out in the locker room? And just sort of be like, it seems weird to me that never mind not stopping him, but how do you not like, how's the protocols for the MIB? Not okay. You're positive. You've got to go. Like you can't hang around your teammates. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? Because I think the the part that's getting confusing, and and to be honest with you, I don't think anybody has really 100% confirmed one way or another is whether that first test came back inconclusive or if that first back test came back as positive. Um, and I can understand that if he had already been there, right? His family is there. You know, let's just say it is just a genuine positive first test in that second inning um, or even the second positive test, you know, and you've now hooked him from the game. He's already been there. He's already played in the game. He's already exposed his teammates and his loved ones at that point. If you're getting second positive test back, that's not to say you shouldn't still be then isolating and you're just allowing for more exposure. Um, because probably that's what should have happened. But I can understand how, in their minds, they're thinking, all right, this guy's already been here. He's already exposed his teammates. He's been in the clubhouse with them. If we keep him just here in the clubhouse, hanging out in one room by himself, we'll figure out what to do later. If we lose, he goes back, he isolates, and we have a whole other problem on our hands right? with the other tests that have to be conducted. Or if we win, at least he's here, and the thought would be, the teammates will come by, maybe give him a fist bump. He'll still be in the locker room. Instead, he then decides to violate all of the protocol and heads out onto the field. And I think just Major League Baseball was underprepared. Um, they seemed underprepared all year long. Every time something came up, 
that was new when it came to COVID. They did not have a real plan in place. They got lucky that basically all of Major League Baseball actually did a good job of just getting on their flights and not going anywhere else. But when they first put that plan in place, and I think this is important to remember, when the Marlins were vilified for going down to the hotel bar, you know, because that's, that's, that's what happened, is they just were at the hotel bar, right? They were vilified for that. There was nothing in the protocol that said anything about doing things inside the hotel. It was up to the player's discretion. And so you're putting all of this personal responsibility on the players to then blame them in the end doesn't exactly feel right. It's like the U.S. government putting all of the responsibility on the states. They can't then turn around and blame individual states for performing poorly. There's, there is a next level of leadership, and that's the one that should be taking responsibility. So in the same situation here, Major League Baseball did not have a great protocol in place. We're constantly behind the eight ball. And then in this scenario where they had a player test positive, they were probably, first of all, very confused because this is a quote unquote bubble, right? That they've created. And, and they've got, this is the first positive test inside a bubble in professional sports, right? In MLS, some guys showed up with it, but then once they were gone, no more positive tests, none in the NBA and none in the NHL. So they were just clearly not prepared for this to happen and that's how they ended up dropping the eight ball. Hey, hey, Jeremy, this is Jonathan. Hey, John. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Okay, great. Um, so I, I happen to think that maybe you're being too generous to the Dodgers. And now with everything that's happening, um, seems like there's a lot of suspicion around the Dodgers. Firstly, as just uh, a normal person, I would think that if you are – if that first test comes in um, inconclusive, you err on the side of caution, especially with, with a disease, I agree. right? You, you don't say, oh, okay, let's see how this goes. So first of all, I'm, I'm, without the facts, I'm going to have to um, take a leap here and say that test was probably positive. But even if it wasn't, sure. they should have held them out. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, when the second one did come in uh, positive, uh, they should have obviously – um, not just taking them out of the game, but perhaps taking them out much like you would do like when you throw, when you throw a player out, right, of the game. Yeah, yeah. And you keep him, he can't come back. And so, you know, and, and there's plenty of fingers to, to – you can point many fingers, and I think a lot of people share the blame, include, sure. inclusive of MLB and the Dodgers. But that would lead me to this question, which is, should the Dodgers – let me see how I phrase it. Should mm -hmm. the Dodgers be asked to vacate the title? And why is the answer yes? <laughs> well, it's a really great way to ask it. Uh, I don't feel that way whatsoever. Um, I, I do think that there was definite – look, to assume that these teams uh, – or that the Dodgers individually – because I won't, I won't go to the Rays because we don't know of any positive tests with the Rays. But, but to assume – that the LA Dodgers and Major League Baseball together made a decision that, you know what, it's just not important enough to deal with right now. We'll deal with this after the game. Uh, I don't think that's a crazy jump. I think it's possible that that first Turner test came back positive. And rather than hooking him in the second inning, they expedited the second test, got those results. And when they figured out he was, it wasn't a false positive, Right, because in their minds, they're probably thinking about the competition of the game. 
And I'll tell you this, based off the experience and, and what I know happened with the Marlins in terms of their chain of command of passing things up, right? Major League Baseball knew when they had positive tests. Um, before that Sunday game, uh, when, when three guys were uh, put on the COVID list, right? The Marlins, before playing that game, the Marlins and Phillies communicated with Major League Baseball. That was not an individual decision. So Major League Baseball, I am sure, as soon as the Dodgers knew that Justin Turner had tested positive that first time, or even if it was inconclusive, Major League Baseball was aware that I, I am 99% sure. I don't have confirmation of that, but that is something that based off the way this is supposed to work, Major League Baseball would have been aware. And so with, with, with that being the case, right, the protocol for Major League Baseball is if tests were inconclusive, players were allowed to stay. That's something that's also important to, to keep in mind, that according to the protocol of Major League Baseball, if a test was not positive but inconclusive, you could be around the team until you had a positive test, which at the very beginning of this season, we were all criticizing as, hold on, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And I'll tell you that the Marlins erred on the side of caution. When they had a guy come back as inconclusive, they said they were just going to rip him away from the team for the day and hope that it wasn't a positive, but you miss it. But now the Dodgers are in game six of the World Series. They're eight innings away from winning the World Series when they get that first positive back. And when they talk to Major League Baseball, you think Major League Baseball wants a false, a, a theoretical false positive hooking the best hitter from the Dodgers lineup for the Dodgers to lose game six and then possibly go ahead and lose game seven because their guy wasn't there. That's a competitive balance thing that Major League Baseball has to think about too. And while I don't care about any of that, and to me, safety should have been the priority numero uno from the very beginning of this season, it was obvious that safety, the competitive balance of the game was more important to Major League Baseball than the safety of their players, it seems. And so in this scenario, it's just another example of that of, eh, well, we'll leave them out there and we'll figure it out if the second test comes back positive. That's what they did. They hook them late. You don't know whether or not any of that communicate. I mean, it was obvious that the Fox guys had no idea, right? That they were unaware of why Justin Turner had been hooked, at least initially. And so it, right after the game, Fox is informed, hey, it's because of COVID. Right. Because that's how they when they told all of us. And then we watched that sort of weird apocalyptic looking celebration uh, on the field. So, look, could the Dodgers be culpable in not being transparent? Absolutely. But what else do you perfect, expect from, you know, a professional sports league? Right. Prior, right. Prioritizing um, money and ratings over over yeah. uh, health and people's lives i get it yeah and setting an example for that matter like what an offensive example of of a way to handle anything involved with this disease like and and in particularly the timing of you know we're so close to this election and i you know i it it shouldn't be this divisive thing whether to wear a mask wait it whether to pay attention to what's going on with this disease and yet that's what it's become and so to, to set such a poor example for people when you're on this national stage was really disappointing to me. And, and two things to follow up on that, Jeremy. Yeah, One absolutely. that bothered me is it's a team from L.A. It's a team that <laughs> their state is going through it. They're mm -hmm. no longer the worst with number of cases, but they're right. still top three. 
Like, how are you unaware that this is affecting everybody around you? And I'll give you a moment to comment on that. But also the B, that Friedman said, I was not going to stop JT from going out, for Justin Turner from going out there and celebrating. Like, that seems mind-boggling mm. to me. As someone who seems to be very smart, analytical, <laughs> has, you know, built a team that is really, really good to then turn around and say something that, like, seems yeah. obviously fraught with, with problems. I don't know. Yeah, it gosh, man, this this whole thing has put so many people in so many difficult positions in terms of showing up and being there for things that matter, right? I mean, I I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here on a week where this past weekend I was at a wedding and this upcoming weekend I'm going to a wedding. And I, and if truth be told, I'd prefer not to have gone to either, but it's my cousin and my best friend. And so how am I going to miss those, right? But there are certain folks attending those events that are not handling things the way that I'd like to. And so that puts me in an uncomfortable position in terms of spending time with the people that I love, right? That's where everyone was in this scenario. You know, we have to remember that while we look at the Dodgers as the Dodgers, right? These are still, it's still a collection of human beings that played this season together that went through the stress and the, concern over possibly getting COVID when traveling throughout the season, when playing against other teams. This has been a stressful, stressful few months for that group of guys. And ultimately, they came out as champions, some of them really getting the proverbial monkey off their back, right? So they're just human beings, right? Mookie Betts is a smart, smart guy. And he's like, I wanted Justin out there celebrating with us. Andrew Friedman is obviously a really bright guy. Same deal. I wanted him out there celebrating with us. In their minds, they're probably thinking, we've already been exposed because we've been around Justin all day. They're not thinking ultimately, and they should have been, and someone should have been there. And this is where I put it actually on Major League Baseball. It's Major League Baseball's job to be objective in these scenarios and save the whole premise of having a commissioner is to save the owners from themselves, right? So Major League Baseball is to save the teams from themselves. And so I, I have a hard time getting too upset. I am upset with Andrew Friedman and Framuki Betts for their sort of lackluster response to everything. But I, I have a hard time getting upset with human beings who are going through something so emotional as winning a World Series as an organization and wanting to celebrate with their good friend who they've played with for the season, who's been there for them, that's helped them get over the top in the middle of their order, who they've already been around all day prior to that. I get how they can feel that. But someone should have been there to stop the emotion. Reacting emotionally to this thing is what has us here. Oh, I don't like wearing a mask. It's uncomfortable for me. Suck it up. You know, I don't, I don't like that I missed all sorts of family moments throughout the last eight months. I was just with my cousins who came in for this wedding from Israel, who I don't get to see all but once or twice a year. And I, had, I stayed six feet, 10 feet away from them. I didn't hug my cousin's daughter. Because I, I'm sitting here going, I, I'm a, I don't want to get this and possibly expose others because I go into a workplace. We've all missed big moments. And I don't blame the Dodgers for in the moment not reacting properly as the human beings. I blame them as an overall organization. I blame MLB as an overall organization for, for not being able to be objective in that scenario. And no, Justin Turner should not have been out on the field. Oh, real quick, I just wanted to ask ask a question about how do you um, yeah. 
how do you judge whether these guys are bright or not? Like, I don't follow the sport very well, so I don't know. Um, I don't know them very well. I haven't heard interviews with them. How do you make the um, the assessment that they are bright guys? Sure. So uh, those two guys in particular, Andrew Friedman, uh, who's in charge of the organization, he's just he's been in baseball long enough and he's part of the reason that analytics actually has become so popularized. He was sort of that second wave of analytics guys. He did it with the Rays. We've heard him speak for long enough as as an executive to know that's, you know, a bright guy. And Mookie Betts is is as a guy that's been in front of the camera for the last six, seven years since he got called up for the first time in Boston. I've just heard him speak so eloquently on, on a number of different topics. Um, and, you know, he knows a lot about a bunch of different sports. He seems to know a lot about a lot of different things in general. You hear him on podcasts, you hear him in interviews. Again, I, I'm using those two guys as examples in particular because they're also guys who are outspoken on this. I could also use other examples of plenty of players on that team and others that are not the brightest guys. And, and so it's almost, and, it, and it's similar to, that's why I'm saying I wish MLB had stepped in because we have to be able to take the emotion out of those moments. No different. And I keep saying it, but like the United States government needs to react on behalf of all of the states because we can't necessarily trust all of the states and then in turn certainly can't trust every citizen on local levels to be able to to handle a pandemic properly. So the, the higher up the leadership goes and the higher up the rulemaking goes, the better off we are, whether it be in society or in Major League Baseball. They're just a reflection of one another. And so I really wish that would have happened here so that I don't have to be sitting here trying to judge who's a bright guy on the Dodgers and who's not. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted clarification on that since, since I don't know those guys, haven't heard them. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Should we transition over to, to another topic, uh, guys? I mean, I'd like to talk about Snell getting pulled and, and that situation, but... <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, God. Yeah. I, you want me to... I'll just go ahead and go Well, I was just going to preface really what? quick with the analytics. Like, yeah. I get analytics. I'm an engineer. I'm a math guy. Yeah. It totally makes sense. But we also have eyes. Like, he saw his guy yeah. dealing. He saw that his guy had struck out Mookie Betts twice the next guy twice and the mm-hmm. next guy twice. It would seem to me you didn't really manage. You didn't use the senses you had. You just used a binder. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I thought that was one of the worst managerial decisions I've ever seen. Um, and I am, I am pro, I've become very pro analytics. Um, I was not initially, uh, strictly because I just love watching starting pitchers go late in games. And so it took me a little bit extra to to sort of hop on, but I'm very pro-analytics. And I think you should remain pro-analytics if with that move. Um, That decision was a manager having information and not using it correctly. Because there is a part of the game that is about the feel. There is a part of the game that's about how, again, I just spoke about how all of these guys are human beings. And so their emotions come into play when we're talking about the celebration after. That matters also when it comes to their performance on the field. There's a mental part of baseball as much as a physical part of baseball that it's all from feel. And so you can look at the stats all you want. And I'll tell you, seven out of 10 times based off the stats, that move works out for the Rays. But what you have to know is 
what your pitcher looks like on that given night and what the other team looks like against your pitcher on that given night. And when you see the way, just like you pointed out, it was the first time all year, not only that both uh, that, that uh, Betts, Seager, and Turner all struck out uh, consecutively, right? Those were the first two times all year that those three guys struck out in a row, all year. But also, it was the first time that those three guys had struck out twice in a singular game, right? So Blake Snell was dominating the best hitters in baseball and looked on top of his game. You've paid the guy his money. He's there, right? He's there for this moment. And there is a part of managing that has to be about the feel. So you can have the information. And so you can put on shifts and you can put on, you know, you, you can make your managerial decisions to take out pitchers and you, managing a bullpen differently than, than we used to. But to have that information and be watching the game and, and make the decision to take out Blake Smell, Snell, I, I just think that it showed that Kevin Cash was paralyzed by the numbers as opposed to using them to his advantage. Um, and I think that's really, really disappointing. Sometimes you can have too much information. Uh, I know Eric Spolstra, the coach of the Heat, he's embraced analytics long before most head coaches in the NBA. And yet, with his analytics guys, he does not ask for too much information because sometimes you can, you can become paralyzed by having too much information. You can become a prisoner to the numbers because going against them becomes something that is overwhelming. And so, look, w- would Kevin Cash probably have gotten ripped the same way if he stayed with Blake Snell too long? Yeah, because I was the same guy on your podcast last week or two weeks ago ripping Dave Roberts for sticking with Clayton Kershaw for too long multiple times, okay? So especially because this is how the Rays win. They win because of analytics. But there have to be moments where a manager is able to see that the human beings on the field are the ones performing and that when Blake Snell was in a groove like that, there was no way you can go away from him. There's just no way to do it. Yeah, I, I suffer from uh, it's uh, paralysis by analysis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and that's something that, I mean, look, I think we can all feel that way. I think anybody, when given too many options or or presented with such a strict, it's a black and white conversation. If you're looking at the numbers, it was black and white. For whatever their numbers were, he's not making that switch unless the numbers are so overwhelmingly in the favor of bringing in Nick Anderson in that scenario. And so it's two things that were wrong there. Not only did Kevin Cash take out Blake Snell, but then Kevin Cash went to Nick Anderson, who'd been struggling so mightily in the postseason at that point. And so that's the part that on top of the bad decision to take out Snell, he doubles down by going specifically with the long form sample as opposed to, okay, I know Anderson ordinarily has been the guy here, but Fairbanks has been a much better right-handed reliever for us. So I'm just going to go to him and we'll figure it out from there. Instead, he doubles down on the mistake. He doesn't just use the numbers to take out the ace. He uses the numbers to bring in a worse reliever. And Nick Anderson is a terrific reliever. Miami Marlin legend, Nick Anderson, okay? But for him, not, not, not truly. I'm realizing that's a, that's a very niche reference for Marlins fandom. Uh, but Miami Marlins legend, Nick Anderson, comes out on the mound most times. You're worried about it. But just lately, he hadn't been great. So 
multiple issues with feel there from Kevin Cash. And who knows, if he goes to Fairbanks, they get out of it, and they win that game one nothing. we're all praising the way that analytics work. So it's a very slippery slope, but to me, the decision to take out Blake Snell is going to go down. It's going to haunt. It's going to haunt Kevin Cash because the Rays are not the type of franchise that gets back here all that often. Um, JT, just in regards to that, like surely the difference between a manager worth paying is being able to make that decision because anybody can read analytics and go with a number. Like you, you get to this. Uh-huh this figure, then then this happens. Surely if you're Dave Roberts, your role is to know when you need to go by feel or you need to go by mm-hmm. sight. Exactly what we said. So it's not different to what we said with Kershaw. You could see mm-hmm. it was time for him to go last game and you could yeah. see this time that there was no need for Snell to go. So yeah. that, surely that's got to be the difference between analytics can have its place. But Absolutely. at the same time, like there's got to be a feel. Well, that's a terrific example, actually, because Kershaw did, you know, Kershaw being pulled from the game before was a mix of of the analytics and feel, right? Because I I had felt like Kershaw should be pulled, actually. If you're going strictly off the analytics, he shouldn't have even entered the sixth inning. But Dave Roberts knew he's grooving. That last inning, he went one, two, three. I trust him to get these next two hitters. And you know what? That was a great decision on his part. And he knew exactly when to take him out, not to face a Rosarant. So, you know, he went through the there has to be a difference between those two things i also think that the biggest thing for a major league baseball manager now is just about managing personalities you need like you need steve kerr right steve kerr as a i'm going back to the nba steve kerr strategically did not tweak all that much with the golden state warriors when he got there but he managed people really well he managed stars really really well and as much as they're you know, has to be a feel of when to put in subs, when not to, when that, when your team's so talented, like Steve Kerr's was, it's all about just managing personalities. And in major league baseball now, because so many of your decisions are dictated by numbers, a lot more of what your job is as a manager is to help your players get through that mentally and understand, Hey, look, I know you're hitting 500 over the last three weeks and it's all against lefties. So yeah, you're not playing for the next week because we don't face a lefty. Doing that psychologically is not easy for kids. Every Major League Baseball player was a superstar until they got to Major League Baseball. So managing those personalities is important too, but it's, it's this strange thing where it's all become about feel. And it's just this, there's only so many decisions that have to be made in a given baseball game as a manager. And so... We're going to sit here and overanalyze those few decisions because those decisions become less and less and less. When it used to be six hit and runs a game, you weren't sitting here picking apart every single guy that went to the bullpen. So, you know, as we simplify the job, we're going to, you know, criticize those moments a little bit more. I think that like what's something I've noticed in sports that I follow, even in Australia, is that shift between like from uh, being a coach to being a manager of people. And mm-hmm. like, it's, it's no longer like these people are intelligent now. They're full time. They're professional. They understand mm-hmm. how to play the game. You need to yeah. be able to get more out of them when they don't think they can do that. So it's, it is a managerial role now. Um, I have one question. Sorry. Um, yes. 
why is it worse to swing on a 3-0 pitch than it is to hug your manager who is a cancer survivor? <laughs> there was a hell of a lot so more. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. I'm, all, I'm always going to come up with one of these. But... Yeah, there's a lot of criticism over swinging at a 3-0 pitch. Mm. You are right. Uh, yeah. It's the worst. I mean, swinging at a 3-0 pitch in the wrong scenario, but I'm not going to say it's worse than hugging your manager who is a cancer survivor if you had COVID. Yeah, no, I'm not going to go that far. I yeah. uh, think that was a pretty dick move on his part. And he just and looks, on, like, he and, looks and, like a dick too. Ugh. I'm not going to go that far. I don't know anything about Justin Turner, but he looks like I'm a not happy with his decision-making there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's LA uniform. I think Jeff, that was Jeff's question. Does he yeah. look like a dick? Yes. We are just about, we're, wait, wait, we're, we're wait, just about, we yeah, we're, we're just about out of time here. Uh, JT, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today. Really do appreciate you jumping on. Uh, I know we have we on retainer for at least two more episodes uh, here in the future. <laughs> so uh, look, Absolutely. look out for that. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, JT. Thanks as always, JT. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.